0: Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers, it's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion, yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. Well, except you folks out on the East Coast, you've got some shit you're going through. I guess they call it a nor'easter, but for all intents and purposes, it's a serious-ass snowstorm. And if that weren't enough, you've got hurricane-level winds going through at the same time. I can't fucking imagine. Now, I was looking at some predictions for some of the cities in this swath of a snowstorm it goes from maine all the way down to south carolina so it's going to hit a lot of people it's going to hit a lot of cities big cities and it's going to cause some messes but in boston the prediction was that they're going to get anywhere from 18 to 24 inches of snow two fucking feet of snow and they're going to have winds as heavy as 70 miles per hour that's fucking crazy That's some bad shit going on on that East Coast. Now, I know from snowstorms. I was born and raised in Minnesota. We are known for cataclysmic snowstorms and sub-zero temperatures and even some heavy winds. I've been through many. We had one on Halloween back in 1991. This is October 31st in Minnesota. One day we had like 15 inches, and the next day we had like 14 inches. We're talking 29, 30, 32 inches of snow in two days? That's fucked up. I can't imagine if you threw in 70-mile-an-hour winds on top of it. Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. In Minnesota, when you have a snowstorm like that, it shuts a lot of things down. It slows things down. But we're pretty adept at handling the cleanup. And I have to give the Department of Transportation in Minnesota a lot of props here because you get a storm like that, it will shut down most cities for a week. Minnesota, though, within a day or so, they'll get the roadways cleared off and everybody will be back driving again. But that's because they deal with it all the time. You get some of these East Coast towns like in South Carolina or in other parts of the East Coast that aren't used to it, they don't have the tools for it. They don't have... Anything to deal with it. I was caught in a snowstorm in Washington, D.C. at one time. It was about this time of year. I was there for a conference. Snow starts falling. Everybody starts freaking out. We wake up the next morning, and there's like 11 inches. Now, that's a lot by my standards, but this shut Washington, D.C. down literally for like three days. I couldn't get to the airport. Had to work my way to get to the airport. When I got to the airport, it took five hours before a plane would even fucking leave. So I've seen some snowstorms, but what I'm hearing about this nor'easter out on the East Coast, it's fucking crazy. It may be worse than anything I've ever seen, especially if we're talking 24 inches of snow and these high winds. But as somebody who's gone through these snowstorms and dealt with them, I've got a bit of advice. And maybe most of you know this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. When you have a snowstorm like this... First of all, be glad it's not a tsunami or a hurricane or a tornado. It's not going to rip apart your house, more than likely, unless those winds get really high. But it is going to shut you down for a while. The main thing is, when you get a snow like this, plan on staying indoors. Don't go outside. Don't fucking try to drive. Because it's crazy out there. You might remember, I told you I was a traffic reporter for 27 years. I sat in a room and I watched 500 cameras throughout the metro area freeway system. And when there was a storm, it was fucked up. The only good thing about traffic in a big storm like that, there were tons of accidents. I mean, literally, accident after accident after accident. I'd do a report, I'd go through 30 accidents, and by the time I started again, there were 30 more. It was crazy. The only upside to it is, because there was so much snow... Everybody was going slow, very slow. So there was some damage to cars, but nobody got injured. But then, of course, you're stuck in the snow and there's more cars. The bottom line is, don't go outdoors. Stay indoors till it's all over and they started to clear things out. I've seen some very dumb shit with people during a storm. There was this one time we were looking, I was looking on the freeway and there was a curve in the road. And it was kind of icy underneath the snow. And what happened, one gentleman drove into that corner, spun out, went into the ditch. A couple minutes later, another car hits that corner, spins out, goes in, into the ditch. And then a third car spins out and goes in the ditch. Now, here's where the fucked up mess starts. These people who are in the ditch, it's cold out, it's snowing, decide, well, we should get out of the car. Really? Really? You just saw three cars spin out in the ditch, in the very spot you're standing, and you decide to get out of your car? That's fucking crazy. You always stay in the car. Well, on this particular day, uh, those three people were standing outside the car, and sure enough, here comes another car spinning out into the ditch. And don't you know it? It hit one of those people, broke both his legs. Fortunately, he survived. But if this dumb fuck would have learned something and stayed in the car, he would have been fine. So you folks out there, you have all my sympathy. I can't imagine what you're going through, especially if you're not used to this sort of thing. But the safest thing to do is stay indoors. Do not go outside. It's just going to be a mess out there if uh, somebody says, well, I got a real important meeting. No, you don't. It's not as important as your fucking very lively or life. Your livelihood is not as important as your life. Stay indoors. Stay home. After all this COVID bullshit, we got to be able to zoom the shit out of some stuff. You don't need to go anywhere. If you haven't gotten all the food you think you need, and that's the funny thing, you know, you get a snowstorm and it's going to be maybe a day or two. And then it's going to take a day to clear it out. So you're indoors max three days. Most people would have enough food in their house for three days, but what happens, everybody goes to the grocery store, spends three grand on groceries so they can hunker down. I don't know how long they think this is going to last, but when it's snow, it's not more than a few days generally. So you've got to deal with the crowds at the grocery store before it happens. But once you get there, just stay there. Resign yourself to the fact that you're not going outside no good is going to come from you going outside so fucking don't do it and do not drive i'll give you a little tip about driving in the snow if you're driving in the snow and i've done it many times and i feel like i'm experienced with it and i can do it without a problem because i'm used to what happens and and what could happen so you're driving and there's a lot of snow on the road and that's a problem you know slipping and sliding i've seen people coming up uh, to a stop sign on a hill and then not being able to move because their wheels just spin all they can really do is back down the hill but if you've got 50 cars behind you you can't back down the hill so you're fucking stuck so it's better just to not go outside at all people will get in trouble if there's Traveling when there's a lot of snow on the roadways, but let me give you one final tip If you're on the roads a lot of snow, but it's still snowing The snow is coming down affecting your vision affecting your line of sight making things slipperier forming uh, Big piles on your windows and stuff when it's snowing. It's far more dangerous So for you folks on the East Coast dealing with this nor'easter, the last thing you want to do is go outside. The last thing you want to do is drive your car. Stay inside. Just tough it out. I know you're anxious. I know you've been indoors because of COVID, but this one isn't worth risking. I wish you all the best on the East Coast. Hopefully it isn't as bad as they said it's going to be. But if it is, just tough it out. You just ride it out and you'll be fine. All right, let's talk about some of the news that's going on. Uh, Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. That seems to be the big story these days. I mean, here's the deal. Russia amasses 100,000 people on the Ukraine border, all troops, all kinds of weaponry, tanks, and that sort of stuff. And now I hear they've also brought in blood supplies and medical supplies. But they still insist, we're not going to invade. No, we're just hanging out. We're not going to invade. If you're just going to be doing practice sessions and shit, why do you need the blood supply unless you're really bad at practice sessions? And the thing is, I don't know that they're really actually going to invade. You know, this this is Vladimir Putin at its best. This is classic Putin trying to play the bully, trying to push the envelope, trying to see what he can get out of any given situation. So he's there. Um, Joe Biden and the Americans are freaking out. But Joe Biden is talking to President Zelensky of Ukraine, and, and Zelensky's going, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll be fine. Don't make it such a big deal. Now, some people think it's because he doesn't want his country to panic. I mean, you have 100,000 Russians on your border. uh, There might be reason to panic. And, of course, the Russians do want to try to rebuild the USSR, the Soviet Union, and take back some of the countries they had that they lost when they became Russia. So going after the Ukraine would be a natural thing. And the fact that they're not tied to NATO helps out, helps Putin out, because everything else around there are NATO countries. Now, I don't know if you understand what a NATO country means or what that whole organization is. That means if somebody attacks a NATO country, every other country in NATO will go after those motherfuckers. So if you're a NATO country, there's a lot of reason not to attack you. Ukraine would like to be in NATO, and Putin doesn't want them to be in NATO. But NATO has sent some troops out there. They've sent some troops out there, and uh, apparently Putin is threatened by that. Um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, warned that a Russian invasion of Ukraine would be horrific for the country and for the people of Ukraine. And there would be significant casualties. So that's a little scary in its own right. Then Joe Biden said, I'll be moving US troops to Eastern Europe in the NATO countries in the near term. Like I say, Russia amassed more than a hundred thousand people on the border. They brought in the blood supplies, the medical supplies, um So Joe Biden's trying to decide what to do. He's going to bring some troops in there, but he insists there's not going to be any fighting. They're not going to fight Russia in Ukraine. That just doesn't make any sense. And, of course, Vladimir Putin knows this, so he's pushing the envelope. But the fact of the matter is, and I've talked about this before, Joe Biden can offer up some sanctions that could be pretty crippling to Russia. There's a pipeline that goes from Russia to Germany. It's not opened yet. It's not been certified. And uh, some of the sanctions could shut that pipeline down. At first I thought, wow, that's a big deal. That's got to make them crazy. But it's really not because there's another pipeline right next to where that pipeline is going to be, a parallel pipeline. They're already pumping plenty of oil from Russia down to Germany. And since the other uh, pipeline that they could close down isn't pumping anything. There would be no loss in gas coming out of, out of uh, Russia going to Germany. So that's really not a thing. That's not something that's a big deal. But one of the things that Joe Biden could do is kick him out of the SWIFT program. Now, that's an acronym. I don't remember what the words are. But essentially, this is a centralized payment system. So people can send money, other countries, businesses, whatever, can send money into a country and out of a country. And if you're not on the SWIFT system, you're fucked. You can't accept money. You can't send money. It's much more difficult for you. Now, apparently, with these sanctions, they could exclude Russia from this Swiss, SWIFT system, which would really fuck up their economy, economy that's already fucked up. So that's pretty dangerous. That's something that... Uh, they don't want happen. So there's a bit of a standoff. Now, Vladimir Putin is the kind of guy that's going to push it to the limit. He said, The funny thing that, that Putin said, he says, I'm not going to let people bully me. Are you fucking kidding? That's classic Donald Trump projection. That's gaslighting. That's bullshit. The only bully here is Vladimir Putin. You're the one that brought the troops to the border. And now you feel like NATO and the United States are bullying you. All they're doing is standing up to a fucking bully, and that's what bullies do. They get all butt hurt and they start claiming to be victims. And that's what Vladimir Putin's doing now. So this is very intense going on down here. If they decide to in- invade Ukraine, there's going to be a lot of casualties and a lot of damage and... A lot of strife throughout the country. But then, of course, the sanctions will fall in line and uh, they'll come from America and they'll come from other European countries. And it will literally cripple the Russian country, the country of Russia. It'll cripple, cripple them immensely. I mean, it's going to fuck up their economy. Now, Vladimir Putin knows this, but he's like Donald Trump. Even when he's wrong, he has to double down. It's like everything in government that we saw during Donald Trump's tenure, it's a fucking game of chicken. Who's got the balls to go head-to-head? And the first one to turn out of the lane of the collision is the loser. And unfortunately, in America, that's usually the Democrats. They don't have the courage to play it out. Now, hopefully, in this situation, they will. If they understand how much damage they can inflict on Russia... Just by throwing out some sanctions, hopefully that's enough. But as I've said before, what they really need to do is this bully doesn't believe shit until something happens to them. The only thing he respects is pushback. Bullies are afraid when they get pushed back. So with Joe Biden waiting to put these sanctions on in if they invade Ukraine um, is a little weak. As far as I'm concerned, there's a lot of sanctions he could put in. I would take three or four sanctions and just nail them now and say they aren't coming off until you move those fucking troops out. Doesn't it make sense to address the situation before the horrific tragedy start? But everybody's kind of afraid. I don't want to make the first move. I don't want to do the dumb thing. And I don't want to cause a world war. And I get that. But at some point, somebody's got to stand up to Putin and say, fuck yourself. You go back or your country's done. Now, I don't know if Joe Biden has the courage to do that, but we'll see soon enough, I would guess. We'll see what happens. It's, uh, it's a strange situation out there. It's kind of a frightening situation. And I would think um, the people in Ukraine are actually very nervous for as much as... Uh, Zelensky doesn't want his his uh, country to panic. They see what's going on. They see all these people. They know who Russia is and the kind of bullshit they pull. They've got to be scared. We've got to somehow de-escalate this situation soon and before they attack or invade Ukraine. I'm hoping that Joe Biden and the rest of Europe has the courage and the balls to do that. Stop it before Any bullshit happens. That's really the only play here. So did you hear just before Joe Biden was going out to uh, um, Pittsburgh, there was a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh. And that's kind of an ironic deal. I think Joe was going to go talk about infrastructure. I think Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania has more bridges than anybody in the country. And let's be perfectly honest, our infrastructure sucks. Presidents for 60 years have been saying, we got to do something about the infrastructure. But not one of them ever did until Joe Biden. Even Donald Trump said, oh, we got infrastructure coming, infrastructure week, it's going to happen. Never fucking did. Couldn't pull the trigger on it. So Joe Biden gets this bipartisan infrastructure bill, and that's going to help a lot. But like anything else in government, when it deals with money and processes and stuff, this all takes a lot of time. Once the money is distributed, then the DOTs around the country got to design something, and it take months and months and months to get anything happening. This is something that should have been done decades ago. Now, I remember we had a similar situation in minneapolis in 2007 i think it was 2007 the bridge over the mississippi river on 35w just collapsed and that was weird because that's a very heavily traveled road especially during the rush hour and um not only did it kill seven people and um 143 people were injured, but it just changed the whole traffic system in town. Thousands and thousands of people every day, every hour came through that area. Now, with that crashed, it's not like you get a few guys out there and put it back up and get things back up and running. It took like a year and a half to get it back up and running. By that time, people had forgotten about traveling thirty-five W over the river. They'd already had to figure out different ways to go. But the but the strange thing about this, you know, as I was doing uh, traffic reports for some twenty-seven years, it wasn't quite that long at that point. It was more like about twenty years. Uh, but but I always kiddingly said. Because we had more cameras on the system than anybody. I had more time to do the reports. I didn't have any restrictions on how long I could take. So if I had something serious, I could go on indefinitely and often did. Um, But I often kiddingly said, man, if we have a plane crash on the the freeway, I'm going to get my first shot at being on nightline. And I was kidding, of course. I didn't want anything to happen. But here's the deal. This bridge collapses. It's one of the biggest stories in the country that day. And you would think I'd be hunkered down behind the microphone, ready to talk about it, talk some shit about it. Nope. Nope. I was on vacation with my sons and my wife. And I was in Washington, D.C., of all fucking places. We had just come out of the Senate chambers. We watched some session. I'm walking outdoors. My mother-in-law calls my wife, and my wife says, what? And she seems upset, and she seems amazed. I'm going, what, what, what's going on? And she gave me the phone. I talked to my mother-in-law. And she says, the bridge collapsed. I said, what bridge? And she said, the 35W bridge. I go, well, that 35W bridge goes through the entire state and all the way down to Texas. So where on 35W did it fucking collapse? And then I finally figured out kind of where it was, but I didn't know. So I called my office. It was the traffic management center for the Department of Transportation. I get one of the bosses on the line. I go, what the fuck's going on? He goes, well, we really can't talk about it much. What do you mean not talk about it? It's on the radio in fucking Washington, D.C. And I work there. Tell me what's going on. He says, well, we had the 35W Bridge over the Mississippi River just north of, uh, north of downtown. It collapsed. I go, are you fucking kidding me? It collapsed? He said, yeah, it's collapsed. I go, look, I know you got plenty of shit to do. I'm of absolutely no value to you because I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm not going to be home for two or three days. He said, don't worry about it. We'll handle it here. And I said, but this is the most important traffic event we've seen in my entire career, and I'm in fucking Washington, D.C. He goes, what are you going to do? We got somebody filling in for you. Let them handle it. He goes, to be perfectly honest with you, this is a fucking mess. You'd get on the air, and you'd never get off, and you would hate it. I go, well, that's true. And so I wasn't there, and the bridge collapsed. But we're going to see more and more of these things, because our infrastructure is in bad shape. As I said, we should have been doing stuff about our infrastructure decades and decades ago, but presidents and Congress and Senates somehow could not figure out a way to pull the trigger. There's dangerous situations throughout the country, and these fuckers couldn't pull it off. Well, you can thank Joe Biden that finally, too late, but that's not his fault, too late they finally got the infrastructure bipartisan bill set, and we're going to start getting some of these things fixed. But isn't it funny? When it comes to the safety of the people of their various states throughout the country, Ah, there's no rush for that. But hey, let's get that $2 trillion, uh, that tax cut off to the rich people. We got to hurry on that. Let's get that one done. But people's safety, fuck that. We don't, We don't really fucking care. It's upsetting. And this is how our government works in this country. Tell you what, we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. So the House Select Committee is back on track and sending out more subpoenas. Yep, they sent out 14 subpoenas in seven states to those fake electors. You remember those people that created the uh, fake certificate of uh, assertation? These are the documents that electors create and sign to send to the National Archives in order to put their votes in, their electoral votes for their respective state into Congress so they can count them and certify the presidential election. But we had seven states that made up phony ones. In all of those states, uh, Joe Biden had won. But in these same states, they decided to create fraudulent certificates of ascertainment. And all of these fucking clowns signed it as duly elected electors, which they weren't. So these documents were forgeries. They were frauds, and they were ridiculous. And these were sent in to the National Archives and ultimately Congress. Now, a lot of people, when they first heard about it, thought, oh, this is just some crazy fuckers, don't know what they're doing. They're just sending them off. But no, no, there was a reason for them to do this. There was a strategy behind the whole thing. You see, what their plan was is to have Mike Pence not certify the election. And then maybe he could take these other documents and instead certify them so he could overthrow the government, overturn the election. Well, of course, Mike Pence didn't do that. The other thing they were counting on, and this is what um, Stephen Miller, that fucking freak piece of shit. He looks like a serial killer rapist to me. But anyway, what Stephen Miller was saying is, well, we wanted to do this and have them ready in case any of our lawsuits uh, were won, then those options would be there. Well, that's unprecedented and that's illegal. And of course, they didn't win one fucking single court case. And now they've sent these ends, committed fraud. So, there's big problems for these people. I know they thought they were patriots. I know they thought they were doing the right thing. I know they thought they were showing strength, but here's the fucking deal now. The January 6th committee has subpoenaed 14 of them. And they're going to have to step up and answer some questions. Not only about what they did, but what they knew. Who they knew was involved in coordinating this. We know that... um, Rudy Giuliani was part of it, and of course Rudy Giuliani directly tied to the uh, White House. He worked for Donald Trump. We are also hearing now that Mark Meadows sent a text approving the fake electors. That's about as close to the White House and the Oval Office as you can get. He was the chief of staff for Donald Trump. They said, hey, we're going to do these fake electors and the fake um, certificates of ascertainment. He goes, cool, that sounds like a good idea. Sends a text to that effect. Now, here's the fucked up thing for Mark Meadows. He doesn't have to testify about that. It's in text written by his hand coming from his phone going um, going to the electors. The fake electors. Well, he's fucked on this deal. Now, that's not where it ends, though. The January 6th people want to subpoena them and interview them. Uh, They may try to do the same things that Mark Meadows and some of these other people have done. Oh, it's executive privilege or, or we can't do this. Sorry, they can't do that. They're not politicians. They're not tied to the president in any way. They're just fucking average Joes like you and me. So when Congress says you need to come to testify, you fucking better come to testify. Because you, without question, will be referred to the DOJ for criminal contempt. So they got that hanging over their heads, these patriots, these fake electors. But now we hear the DOJ is also opening up an investigation on these phony certificates and the phony electors. I got to tell you what, when the with the long arm of the Fed comes down on top of you, you don't get up, especially if you're just an average Joe with no power and no money, which is what these people are. But that's not even the end of it. You see, um, each of the states are looking into it and doing an investigation. These phony electors with these phony documents, they are the epitome of fuck around and find out. I don't know what they were thinking when they did this. It's not hard to realize that what's going on here is fucking flat out fraud. It's trying to overturn an election, maybe even overthrow a government. The penalties for something like that are not light. If they get caught with something, calling it sedition, we're talking 20 years. Now, those guys that were with the Oath Keepers that were charged with seditious conspiracy, they all pled not guilty, so they're going to have to go to court, but this isn't going to go well. Now, all these 14 people have to deal with the January 6th Committee, the DOJ digging into their life and maybe prosecuting them, and then... Each of the individual states are investigating them as well. Boy, they did fuck around and find out, didn't they? And now they've ruined their lives. Some of them will go to jail, and only because they thought they were doing the right thing. It's. um, (laughs) You almost have to laugh about it. How can people be that fucking stupid? I don't get it. I don't see how that's even possible. So, have you heard about this Spotify thing? Yeah, Spotify has been going through some shit in the last couple of days. You'll remember that Neil Young said, look, it's either Joe Rogan or me. You see, Neil Young has taken exception to the fact that Joe Rogan is on the air and spewing fake information about COVID and ivermectin and all this other bullshit. Now, here's the deal. Spotify gave Joe Rogan $100 million to do a podcast on their app. Neil Young is a um, genius and a rock star from years gone by. And he said, look, if Rogan's on here, I want all my music off. I want you to take it off. Now, for a minute there, I thought, well, this might be a hard choice for Spotify. I mean, they gave Joe Rogan a lot of money, but fucking Neil Young. And within a day, they said, okay, we're taking all of Neil Young's songs off. They didn't even give it a second thought. I'm sure they're thinking, well, we put $100 million into Joe Rogan. We're not just going to throw that a fucking way. So they took off Neil Young. (laughs) But then again, here comes Barry Manilow. Granted, he's from the 60s and 70s, he's not a current star, but he had huge hits, and he probably gets a lot of spins on Spotify. But Barry Manilow said, yeah, if Joe Rogan's on here, I don't want any part of it. Take my music off, too. And it didn't stop there, and I don't think it'll be the end, because the next person to step up, again, an old star from the 60s and 70s, but a star nonetheless with many classic songs that are still played today, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell said, yeah, get my shit off there if Joe Rogan's on here. Well, now Spotify's got a little bigger problem. A much bigger problem. They got a hundred million dollars into Joe Rogan. They don't want to waste that. I kind of get that. But Joni Mitchell, Barry Manilow, Neil Young, you're really going to throw that shit away? Well, I doubt they've lost any money on not playing those songs yet. They will, but here's what they did do. There's what did happen and may cause them to think twice about their decisions here. You see, when this happened and all this news coverage came out, Neil Young said, take my shit off. Spotify, in the stock market, lost $4 billion in market value. Well, that's fucking something. You're worried about $100 million with uh, Joe Rogan, and you've lost $4 billion, billion with a B, dollars in market value. Now Spotify's going to say, well, you know, maybe we should think about this. Maybe we need to figure a different angle. Now, people have said to Spotify, look, this guy's giving out bad information about COVID and people are dying from it. Why don't you do something about it? Their explanation is, well, we've got a lot of rappers on Spotify, too, and they say some pretty fucked up shit. And we don't try to censor them. So why should we try to censor Joe Rogan? Well, I'll grant you, there are some rappers that say some fucked up shit, maybe hurt people's sensibilities, but they ain't killing anybody. Joe Rogan is. The way they just said the next day, okay, we'll take Neil Young's stuff off. It's like, we're too big to care. It doesn't fucking matter. Neil Young is an old guy. We'll take his songs off. We'll lose a little money, but who the fuck cares? Joe Rogan will make it up. But then you get more people bailing from Spotify. You think there's going to be more? Oh, I bet you 100 $100. That there's going to be a ton more jumping ship. Because you know why? Because there's publicity in it. People weren't thinking about Barry Manilow. Great songs, but they're old. Barry Manilow says, I'm going to get in the fight. You can pull my shit off. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, apps like Spotify don't play musicians and writers anywhere near what they deserve. They fucking hate those things anyway because they're getting screwed every day. So it may not mean a lot to a Barry Manilow, who's probably already a multimillionaire, or Joni Joni Mitchell, who's a multimillionaire. Uh, So it doesn't really make a difference to them. But it gets out all this publicity. People are saying, Joni Mitchell's pulling off? I don't even know her music. Let's take a listen to it. And there's plenty of other places they can hear this music. So it's good publicity for the people pulling out. It's horrible publicity for Spotify. It makes Spotify look like a crazy fucking MAGA-Trumpster-anti-vaccine-piece-of-shit company. And since three-fourths of this country believe in vaccinations, you're going to piss off a lot of people. Now, as I've said before, I do this podcast on FM, which is owned by Spotify. I'm not a big enough fish where they're going to bother me. I'm going to speak my mind. And even if they did, fuck it, I could take the podcast to another platform and still come to you tomorrow just like I am today. So it's not a big deal. But I'm thinking Spotify has to take another look at this situation. You lose $4 billion in market value in one day. That's got to catch your attention. That's got to be something that makes you say, well... Let's talk about this. (laughs) The whole thing is pretty funny. It's pretty interesting, and uh, um, it'll be very interesting to watch. You know, I'm the kind of guy that likes to break problems down so I can understand them. I'm a simple guy. If I have a problem, I have to think about it and break it down in simple terms. And as I'm looking at this country, we clearly have a lot of problems, a lot of divisiveness. Nothing is getting done because nobody gets along with anybody. And here's the deal. I think I know why we have this problem. has nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans, not even necessarily race or religion. The simple problem in this country is a psychosis running through this country that nobody believes they're wrong, ever. And even if they think they're wrong, they'll double down and say they're not wrong. I'll tell you one lesson I learned in my lifetime. I'm 61 years old. I've been married 38 years. I was in business for over 40 years. When you do that, whether it be marriage or, or uh, business, you make a lot of fucking mistakes. I don't give a shit who you are. Marriages can be rough for a period, but you got to keep pushing forward. Same with business. But the lesson I learned is that even me can be wrong sometimes. I might say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, make the wrong choice. I can be wrong. And it's absolutely crucial that we as humans are able to recognize that, acknowledge that, take action to fix that. But people's egos are way too fragile. They are unwilling to admit they're wrong. And that's a mistake on their part because they will pay the price in the end. See, this is how I learned it. I was making bad choices and never thought I could be wrong. And I just followed it through to the end. But when you're wrong, you go down the wrong path. You end up in the wrong place. And you end up being fucked. So if you know that, if you can... Uh, analyze that and see that that's what happens, common sense would say, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Maybe I should, I don't know, change it up a bit. But people don't do that. They can't be wrong. That divides this country like nobody's business. You got one party yelling at the other party. And it could be in politics. It could be in your business. It could be in your school. It could be in your fucking family. I'm dealing with it now. Nobody can be wrong. But somebody always has to be right. But that somebody doesn't always have to be you. And it's to your benefit to acknowledge and pay attention to when you're wrong. Because if you recognize it and you do something to fix it, well, then you change the trajectory of your life and you will find yourself in a better place. Yes, your fragile ego will be bruised when you have to admit you're wrong. But in the long run, it will pay dividends because you figured it out. You made the decision you were wrong. You changed it up and you fixed it. But people in this country refused to admit they're wrong. They just, they they, they fucking just won't do it. They refused to to do it. So the question is, how do you fix it? Well, it's tough to fix because we got a lot of people in this country with a lot of fucked up ideas, and uh, they don't want to change. They don't want to admit they're wrong. So the only thing you really can do is change it in yourself. If you're one of these people that think they can never be wrong, well, there you're wrong. Everybody can be wrong. And so if you can acknowledge it, it'll be helpful to you, it'll be helpful to the country, and it'll be helpful in terms of relationships in this country. And hopefully uh, pull people together as opposed to dividing them. Now, one of the ways I learned this by being married 38 years, the funny thing with being married 30 years, that means I'm always fucking wrong. And my wife has a little trouble being wrong. She doesn't think she's ever wrong. She's one of those folks, one of the many in this country. She hasn't learned the lesson I have. Because she certainly can be wrong. Lovely woman. I love her to death. But uh, she's like everybody else. She can be wrong. And then it causes an argument back and forth. And then I'm in a quandary. Say we're talking about something I know everything about, she knows nothing about, but she thinks she's right, and I know for a fact I'm right. I've gone back, checked it out, looked at my work, and said, yeah, I got it here. I nailed it. But at some point, you got to pick your battles. Do you want to fight with this woman for the next 10 days because of this situation? I've often said this, and I tell a joke, and People will say, oh, you shouldn't pick on your wife like that. Well, understand, my wife picks on me just as much as I pick on her. And everything I tell you here, I've said to her probably a hundred times. But there's a rule of thumb when I argue with my wife. If I lose, cool, it's done, it's over, I acknowledge I was wrong, we're good. But if I fight and it appears as though I have a point or that I'm close to winning, Well, then the shit starts to fly, because my wife then brings out everything I've done from the point we were married in 1983 up to current times. She's not going to let this go until I fucking lose. There's just no way. Just no way. So she's going to bring up, remember in 87 when you did this? No, I don't fucking remember that. I don't keep that stored in my mind. It was a mistake. I fucked up. It's over. How does that have anything to do with what we have to do now? And it has no nothing to do with it. So with her, I pick my battles. I don't usually argue with her. She's a very smart woman. She's far more educated than I am. She has a teaching degree. She has a master's degree. She's very smart. She's just not very street smart. I don't have a big education. I went to college for a year, year and a half, something like that. Everything else I learned on the street. I learned about business by having a fucking business. And when you do that, you make a lot of mistakes. But you also learn a lot. And my wife and I recently had an argument, and this is this is the tough one. Like I said, you have to admit when you're wrong sometimes. If you are, in fact, wrong, admit you're wrong. It's going to make everything so much easier. But I have this argument with my wife, and I know she knows what's right. It's just that she's angry about how it's turning out. I have these, uh, well, she has a friend that she grew up with, went to school with. And now they're older, and she's married to a guy. And we, from time to time, would go out to dinner or do something. If they, they, they have a house down in Vegas, we might go down there and meet with them. And these are the kind of people that are, I don't know, you'd call them. They're conservative. They claim they don't like Trump, but I, I don't know. I don't care. To be perfectly honest with you, when I see people that might be Trumpers, if we just don't talk about politics, we're cool. We're cool. But whenever I talk about Trumplicans, and I'm arguing with a Trumplican, okay, and they're making some racist statements, and I call them out on it, and I argue with them. And I don't yell and scream, but I say, no, you're wrong because of this, this, and this. And then what do they do? They get upset. They don't have facts to back up what they say. They get upset, and they say, well, no, you're wrong because of this, and now you're (laughs) just— just bullying me and, and I'm the victim. So later on my wife doesn't like conflicts and that's the problem. I don't mind conflicts. I'm okay with it as long as I know I'm right. Now when we talk about this argument she say why do you have to be right all the time? Why can't they be right? And uh, my answer is, because I know I'm right on this one, and I know they're wrong. Yeah, but how do you know that? You're just like everybody else. You could be wrong, too. I said, I know I'm right on this one. I know I'm right, and you know I'm right. She said, how do we know that? I said, well, (laughs) this fucking guy was talking about racist bullshit, and I was calling him out for saying racist bullshit. So you tell me how this guy maybe just possibly might be right. He is not right. He will never be right. I am absolutely right in this situation. Because for as much as you could be wrong from time to time, you can be right too. And it's important to me, it should be important to you, when you know you're right, when you looked at all the facts and you feel strong about it, that's when you stand up and you fight back and you don't give in because right has to win. The truth has to win. And if you hold the what's right and you hold the truth, well, then you got to fight for it. I've been accused uh, all my life. Some people say, well, you're kind of cocky. God, I'm not cocky. There's a difference between cocky and confident. And they say, well, I don't see that. I said, well, I'll explain it to you. I'm a confident man. I'm decisive. And when I say something, I will have looked into it or investigated it. So I don't say something that's wrong. I want to know exactly what I'm saying that I'm right. I don't do anything emotionally when I'm debating or arguing about something. And that's the mistake everybody else makes on the Trumplican side. It's all about emotions. And when you incorporate emotions into an argument or debate, well... You start saying shit you don't mean, you start doing things you don't mean, you don't think about what you say and you say stupid shit. That's a that's that's a confident man who says, "Okay, I know you're wrong, I know I'm right. I'm going to stand up for it. I'm going to fight for it." Now, the cocky man is a little different situation. The cocky man is the guy that knows everything about everything and won't fucking shut up about it. And in fact, doesn't know anything at all. That's cocky. Confident is a little different thing. And I'll tell you something about being confident. That pisses some people off. I know I've done it. By just being confident, talking like I'm confident, talking like I'm sure about something. You can see people get ruffled by it. You see it bothers them. And I always wondered, why does it bother you that I'm confident about what I'm saying? And then I realized what it was. Most people have a lot of insecurities. They don't have any confidence. They wouldn't dare say something that they believed was absolutely true. So they can't even comprehend how you have the audacity to have confidence and speak like you do. So that makes them angry. I know it makes a lot of people angry. I've I've had it. And the thing is, I'm not being cocky about it. I'm not calling them out. I'm saying, you're wrong, and here's why. And that pisses people off. People can't handle being fucking wrong. They think it's an attack on them. I mean, Jesus, these people seem to think that when they think something or open their mouth and spew something out it's as if it came on a on a uh, uh, angelic pipeline direct from god and the moment it exits their mouth it's like the fucking gospel nobody can question it but these are typically people that watch Fox News or MSN, just listen to the the uh, leads on it and don't really know anything about it. They make assumptions and they start spewing shit that's not true. And that's part of the reason I do this show, because I want to give you as much information about this stuff so you know what you're talking about. So you, in fact, can be confident when you talk to somebody who is a fucking idiot. If you're going to be confident out there, speak up speak out, push back, you're going to piss people off. And you got to be prepared for that. If you don't like the confrontation, I wouldn't suggest you do it. But if you don't mind the confrontation like me, and you want to fight for your right to tell the truth, well, then fucking do it. But be ready for your family or people around you saying, Oh, just calm down. You're not right all the time. Well, I'm right this time. I'm absolutely right this time, and I'm not giving in on this. And that angers people. Now, fortunately, (laughs) my hobby is pissing people off, so I don't have a problem with it. I take great joy in pissing people off if they're wrong and they're angry that I'm right. But again, as cocky or confident as that sounds, I know when I'm wrong. I may not know when I'm wrong when I spew it, But I will have looked at it ahead of time before I said it. And then even after I've said it, I made a mistake or did something, I'll look hard at that. I want to know if I made a mistake. I want to know if I am wrong. And if I am wrong, I feel compelled to fix it by saying, look, you're right, I was wrong. This is why I thought it, but I was absolutely wrong. So I will change my position on that situation. It's much better than trying to double down and fight for shit that just is not going to work, that you have no prayer of proving. Just own up to it. Admit you're wrong. And if we can do that as a country, then maybe we can get rid of the divisiveness and bring people together. I mean, I'm married 38 years. My wife and I argue about a lot of things over time. But we love each other, and we couldn't imagine being with anybody else or spending time alone. So we get through those arguments, they're not a big deal, and then we move on to the next day. But what we have now are these divisions that go on, and will go on forever. People won't talk to other people ever again. I know, because there's people I know that don't want to talk to me again, and I don't give a fuck if I talk to them. So... If you're living in this world, and if we could possibly get everybody to admit they're wrong when they are in fact wrong, that would be a beautiful thing and make this country a better place. But we can't do that because not everybody's as sharp as you and I. Not everybody's as perceptive as you and I. So all we can do is do it ourselves. Admit when you're wrong and do it for your own benefit. It's going to help you in the long run. And hopefully it'll make these interactions and these interpersonal relations go a little bit better. Be willing to admit you're wrong. (laughs) It's funny. I talk to so many people and they just can't do it. I mean, even when they know they're wrong and I've got the proof in my hand, they just cannot admit it. And what they don't understand is they're fucking themselves over in the long run. They don't even get it. They're more concerned about their fragile ego as opposed to their future and their life. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer Podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me. I always enjoy people taking the time. There's more and more people every week coming to the Rational Boomer Podcast. I'm excited. I love that. I love all my listeners. I appreciate you so much for the life of me. I don't know why you come to listen to the Rational Boomer Podcast, uh, but I'm glad you do. And I will encourage you to do it, and I will pray that you keep coming back. If you have questions or comments, email me at rationalboomer at uh, gmail.com. Or you can uh, go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer Podcast, and leave me a voicemail. You have a great night. You folks on the East Coast, stay indoors and be safe. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast.